The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm David Merritt. And I'm Francine Lacqua. And this is In the City, Bloomberg's podcast connecting you to the conversations at the heart of the city of London. But of course, that is not where we are this week, Francine. It is not, Dave, because this week we're in Doha, Qatar for the Qatar Economic Forum. Exactly. And we have spent the last few days listening to the world's business leaders, or if you are Francine, uh, interrogating them on stage most of the time. And uh, many of them have been emphasising the importance of the Middle East to all of their future plans. And that's really what we heard from the Standard Charter Chief Executive Officer, Bill Winters. I think these, the various countries in the Gulf, of course, are accumulating savings right now, and they're diversifying their economy. So that's why we're here. That's why we're investing so much capital into the Middle East, because we see these huge opportunities to connect that, that capital with all the opportunities in Asia and vice versa. And when we spoke with Ken Mollis, Chief Executive Officer of Investment Bank Mollison Company, he really spoke highly of the ambition and pro-business attitude of the Middle East right now. When you come here, and I encourage everybody who hasn't been, it's optimistic, it's energetic, it's pro-business. And the enthusiasm and optimism and desire to grow the region is, is, is really invigorating. Um, and yes, I believe the region has a bright future and is almost on the opposite cycle of the West right now. Well, because they have so much money. If you think about, of course, some of these Gulf nations, because of the new energy complex, they have quite a lot of cash to spend. So if you're an investor, if you're looking for a, an anchor investor, or if you just want to make M&A deals, this is where you show up. And it's been completely packed with people here over the last few days. Um, astonishing crowds, amazing speakers. So what we were trying to understand is, is all this energy and the crowds, do these point to the fact that this region is really emerging as one of the leading financial centers in the world. So Dave, that's really what we're looking at this week, the growing influence of the Middle East. Yeah, there's the capital it has, whether its ambitions might see this region and all of the major players here compete, finally, with the likes of New York or our dear London. So we have a reporter on the ground. He breaks more news than anyone we know. Absolutely. He is a top deals reporter for us at Bloomberg. He's called Dinesh Nair, based in London, previously based out here uh, in the Middle East. And he sat down with us amongst the melee of all the people uh, in the uh, reception hall uh, yesterday afternoon here in Qatar. And we wanted to understand what he's picking up from all of the conversations he has with the bankers and the executives here at the forum. And this energy that he says is really not so common to find in London anymore. There's not a lot of places in the world today where there is this kind of capital. So that is the dif that is a differentiating fact. That's why you see a lot of people coming in because at the time when everyone had money, there's a lot of liquidity, this region was probably not that significant. But today it is. It is probably the only place uh, which can call the shots on big transactions. And they're spending it worldwide. And what I've realized over the years is that they used to invest in places where they were familiar with earlier. So that's why you saw the investments in Canary Wharf or like big European banks. Today, that money is kind of spread out everywhere. And you would argue that it's going more, a little bit more into emerging markets and big uh, emerging markets like 
China and India. Um, but the U.S. also remains a pretty important place where the capital is getting deployed. I mean, as someone told me the other day that, um, you know, the region is interesting because it's one of the few places in the world where ambition is kind of married with capital. And if you look at many places, you know, going back to, to London, um, even the ambition part is quite arguable these days, uh, but there's definitely no capital. Yeah. Uh, and then you have that both combined. I think you'll see some interesting things uh, develop and you see a lot of firms in London, a lot of bankers, uh, investment banks, hedge funds moving people here, which is quite unprecedented. So I was surprised, and actually, so you have these, you know, beautiful hotels. Um, a lot of the, the the brands, frankly, that we know in London or elsewhere, the best of the best. You have these beautiful restaurants, but largely it's empty. So a lot of yeah. this here in Doha, Qatar, was built for the World Cup, and yeah. they just don't have. I was looking at the population, so they have two point six million people overall, but I think around o- only four hundred thousand. That's a tour. It's like there's a. I mean, it's crowded here today. Yeah. But when we arrived, right. well, we can, and you know, the airport, which is like a yeah. town on its own. But there's not enough people to fill it, and a lot of the off- these big offices buildings around yeah. here are empty. So is it is it kind of more show than substance? I mean, I think they, they, every country in the Gulf today wants to attract people to come to their to their country and set up investments and set up their offices. But there is competition among the, everybody, like between Saudi Arabia, Qatar, UAE. Um, so that's a challenge. And I'm sure, like if you're a Qatar, you are thinking of what you want to do. Uh, with this infrastructure. I think um, at the panel, the CEO of QIA did kind of hint that we are thinking about what do we do with this infrastructure, which is essentially cost of billions of dollars to build, but they need to ensure that people are coming here, which is, again, there is a lot of competition between these countries to attract people. So I, yeah. I was reading it, and again, I find this incredible, right? The, the Lionel Messi, were you reading the story? Yes. I mean, 400, oh, 400, 400 million, million right, to, to, to go, go to Saudi. Saudi. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is it? They already have Ronaldo there. But this is inc- this is incredible. I mean, this is what this is kind of cultural icons, right? To move into the region, yes. To get people then to to live in their new cities, like what are we talking about, Dinesh? Uh, we're talking about uh, quite a few things. In the case of Lionel um, Messi, I mean, there's this huge ambition to create uh, sports investments and to make do more investments in sports for Saudi Arabia, but it's also like they do want to create some headlines which show, tells the world that this is a place where you can come in and live. And even today, I mean, it is quite questionable whether, you know, people would be willing to live in Saudi Arabia or Riyadh, but it is changing. It is changing at a pace which you've not seen in the past. Uh, still, I mean, they find it a bit more challenging. So unless they get these kind of big names out there. But why bring them there? I mean, they already own the PIF. I mean, if they want, if the PIF already owns Newcastle, and they're winning trophies. Right. So why do you need to, to do, you know, domestically? Is it for really to attract outside talent or is it influence? Because to have influence, you can buy something else outside your yeah. country. A lot of what Saudi Arabia is doing in sports and in entertainment has a long-term objective to ensure that the capital stays in Saudi. Mm-hmm. So as when they that's spend... A new, that's a new thing, right? It is very much a new thing. This is like future-proofing the economy. It's future. Right? They're thinking like 10, 15 years down the line. And they realized this during COVID when people in Saudi were not traveling. The net figures we heard was that, that around $50 billion stayed in Saudi, kind of lifted the local stock markets. So now they're saying if we can get our population, our young population, if you attract them with things they like, which is music, you know, um, sports. Right. You know, so then it makes a lot of sense for them to ensure that people are staying there. The capital is not going out at a pace which used, used to go. You mentioned the competition between the different um, 
with different cities, which I find fascinating yeah. here as well. Everyone trying to vie to be the hub. Obviously, Dubai is kind of in a different league. But yeah. I thought the optics today was amazing. Francine did a panel on energy and the Qatari energy minister walked in with the Saudi energy minister holding hands. Yeah, I think it was I mean, Iraq. these are countries which Iraq. were, yeah. you know, and there was there was a bit of there was a bit of banter between the Saudi on the stage and the and the Emir yeah. about you know, the friendliness and forgetting that just a few years ago things were very ugly between. It is. I think. I mean, in my 14, 15 years of covering the Middle East, I've never seen a time in the region when there's been so much political stability yeah. in the region. So you, you, they, they've obviously kissed hands with Qatar. Um, they have. Uh, a deal with Israel. Um, so, I mean, you can think of, I mean, I couldn't think of the fact that when I was living in Dubai, you could take a plane to Israel. It was Tel Aviv. It's like completely not, it, it was not even a question. Like you didn't even talk about it. Nobody. So now today there are flights going from Dubai to Israel. So uh, Egypt is a friend. Turkey is a friend. Yemen war is kind of, you know, seems like it is ending. Um, so there's, there is quite a bit of political stability. They are in a way, decoupling a bit from the U.S., they, they understand that it's it's they need to have more friends. So, I mean, the fact that China was apparently trying to mediate a deal between Saudi and Iran was unheard of. They're doing a lot more with India. So I think they understand that the world needs, they need to be friends with a lot more people. And the political stability, when they have that, is when this region will flourish. Um, now, it's, it's still a very fragile place, but you never know. But, uh, yeah. is, it, is this a friendship of convenience to get jobs from London? And we had Nick Candy on the podcast. Right. Yeah. He was he, pretty clear, he did, right? He did a couple of headlines. They did a couple of headlines. I think it was like our most read story of our podcast, which is, to, you know, Dubai is the new London, right? Like everyone, what London's over. Yeah. Everyone with money or wants to buy a luxury, super luxury house, they want to do it in Dubai. I just think Dubai is one of the new capitals of the world. I genuinely think that you're seeing a flow of money there like you've never seen before. It was like London when we were building One High Park. It sounded like a business pitch. Yeah, but, I mean, he's got a lot of people agree with right? yeah. No, I mean, I was in Dubai a couple of weeks back and spent a week there reporting. And it was what was funny was like I met a lot of uh, people from Britain and US and they a lot of them have said like this place is where we want to be we want to belong here huh. because a uh, i mean you know met a lot of investment bankers a, there's more deal activity b i mean dubai has proven like with covid that it's such a convenient place to live i mean really didn't shut down it's easy they find the time zones quite attractive you know you can do stuff in asia europe is just six hours away so i think the times and the fact that the infrastructure is so amazing and world-class that it's just makes it a better place i guess yeah I mean, th there's worry about what they're doing in terms of, you know, sanction invasions or certainly, you know, welcoming a lot of uh, Russian money with open arms. There's questions about what they do with crypto, what's regulated. Is it 50-50 or do you really think that, you know, there are more positives than negatives to attract foreign capital? Uh, I've always been quite a pessimist when it comes to uh, some of the stuff I've seen in the Middle East over the years. But I, I think when I went this time, I was feeling even in the war in Ukraine gets over. I'm not sure a lot of the wealthy Russians are moving out of, uh, so of they're Dubai. Stay. They're going to stay. They're going to stay. Yeah. Uh, and Dubai needed that more desperately than most of the other Emirates. So there's a lot more money. Dubai had to have a system where people lived there and stayed. And it just feels like they have, at least for so, so now, at least this far managed to do that. So the bankers you're talking to, and I know you spend your you spend your life talking to bankers, right? And you know, and we know that deals have dried up in London, right? We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. People have had to sit on their hands. The London Stock Exchange has had a pretty 
bad few years in terms yep. of listings. Is there kind of buzz in the Middle East now? What what the bankers telling us about this kind of battle between the financial centres that Dubai is coming out on top? Is it supposed yeah. to be? I, I think the bankers in the middle, Dubai and the Middle East find themselves more relevant today than ever uh, any time in the past. A couple of things. One is that the local activity is improving because there's a lot more IPOs, a lot of deal activity. And and the other thing is, again, the fact we talked about is that the region's sovereign wealth funds are deploying capital worldwide. And and, and if you are a JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs banker based in, in Dubai or Abu Dhabi, today you're getting calls from all your colleagues worldwide. Um, uh, asking them to pitch deals to to these funds, actually. So they feel more relevant. And you can see that the conversation is more global than what it was a few years back when people talk about local deals. Dinesh, is it quality bankers and quality lawyers that they have, or do they have to, to bring in their, their top people? Are they moving, actually, yeah. some of the, the more senior staff from London to the region? Yeah, that's uh, one other thing I noticed, the quality of people definitely increasing. The conversations I had, I probably had around 30 meetings when I was in Dubai yeah. over the span of five days and the quality of those conversations were pretty much at the same standard as I, you, know, you would find in London and that's a big change. I've been in meetings where, you know, towards the end of it, my question, my man was like, how do you get this job in the past? And I was like, but <laughs> well, we've all had that. I all those meetings actually, but today it is a lot different actually. So, and not just with the bankers, but if you see the evolution of some of the sovereign wealth funds, you know, like talk to Adia, the Mubadala, so in QIA, uh, they're so much more organized and so much more structured in the way they invest. Uh, and one thing I do appreciate, like with even this big pot of money and people calling them for deals, they're very particular in what they want. So they're saying no to almost 90% of the deals which are shown to them and only picking the stuff which they really want. So that's the thing people always talk about, isn't it, in terms of like London's uh, dominance is about the ecosystem. Go, well, no one else can match it. You know, it's the lawyers, it's the whole of the infrastructure around the city, not just the bankers. Yes. But it sounds like what you're saying, Dinesh. And I guess looking around here at this event is that that is changing. Uh, that the Middle East is building its own ecosystem to support really serious financial centers. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I still don't think they're the level at which London um, is still at. I mean, but London's taken several years to build that. But here, I mean, it's happening at a more rapid pace. But there definitely seems like that's the ambition. They're think, yeah. thinking like 10, 20 years, like every meeting you have, they're talking very long term. So the game is like, what do we do? So you see the hedge funds coming in. And a lot of them are actually managing money. Ray Dalio moved his family office to Abu Dhabi. I mean, you're talking about some of the smartest people in the world, you know, so, uh, so his own money is getting managed out of Abu Dhabi today. Yes, I mean, they have deep connections. And He's got a lot of money from, from Abu Dhabi before, but that's also quite telling. He didn't have to do this, you know, so he's doing that now. What kind of deals do you think Middle Eastern money is trying to chase? I, I feel, right from the sidelines, that there's been this always attraction between the Middle East and the UK because they have crown jewels. Yeah. And it's, you know, a lot of big banks. It's the, the football um, clubs. It, it could could be you know, banks yeah. like Standard Chartered, there was this rumor. Do you think they'll, they'll, will regulators allow that? What are, what do they want from the UK? No, I think uh, those type of deals are changing. Like, you know, so they're not chasing trophy assets for the sake of chasing trophy assets. I mean, yes, there'll be the occasional yeah. uh, football club deal, you know, which will always happen. Uh, but Everyone would love a football club. Exactly. Right. Dave's been after a few years. years. Yeah, I'm about to make a bit. <laughs> yeah, Max. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably there. That's a good idea, actually. No, but um, the, the, the types of deals are definitely changing. They, they are looking at deals which are 
um, more on the tech side, healthcare, technology, tech-enabled industries. And that's where the money is going. I mean, yes, there will be obviously one or two of those deals which will be uh, politically driven or motivated by uh, broader ambitions, um, but uh, more so they're behaving more like uh, pretty sophisticated, mature institutions. Dinesh, thank you so much. Thanks right. a lot. And good luck. The Thanks, Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's In the City. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, if you like our show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review and subscribe. This episode was hosted by me, David Merritt. And me, Franz Lacqua. It was produced by Summer Sadi and Moses Andam. Additional editing by Blake Maples. Special thanks to Dinesh Nair. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.